Well, good morning, church. How we doing? I love it when you turn when I turn on my iPad and I get all these texts from my kids. Isn't that great? So uh, it just my daughter's telling me both of our little granddaughters are sick. But hey, um, I'm Scott Weatherford. Really glad you're here this morning. Uh, we leave for Israel in the morning. Uh, 26 of us are going, and I want to tell you something I'm going to do uh, for you. A few weeks ago, actually it was Palm Sunday, I did a talk about the prodigal son, and I asked if you had kids that you wanted to be prayed for to, to make a list, and you guys did make a list. It's like two pages long, several columns. So what I've done with that list is I've condensed it down, uh, and I'm going to take it. We're going to the Western uh, wall of the temple while we're gone, and it's called the Wailing Wall. And historically, people, when they're making intercession before God, they take their prayer request and they put it in the rock there in Jerusalem. So I'm going to take those names that we're praying for our kids, and I'm going to put them in the temple wall as a prayer, a symbol prayer for, uh, for our kids. So I'm excited to do that. If you've got something you say, okay, Scott, I want you to pray about this or whatever, just get it to me and I'll do the same thing. Now, there's nothing mystical about the temple wall. There's nothing mystical about it. What God wants us to be is in community together. And when he make that symbolic gesture, we're inviting everyone who believes in Christ to get in with us on this prayer for our kids. So I'm really excited to be here this morning. We had a golf tournament yesterday. Uh, our team, I played on, we came in fourth, which is not bad, but there were only four teams. But anyway, that's the way it works. So it's because we didn't cheat like some teams, right, Wyatt? Yeah, okay, yeah, all right. So we'll talk about cheating next week, but uh, really glad you're here. Go ahead and take out your study guides, uh, the things in your bulletin to take the weekend with you. There may be some notes there you want to jot down, some thoughts about who we are and where we're going and what God wants us to know and to become even today. So God has given us a new culture, a new culture. If the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. It's what Pastor John said in chapter 8, verse 30, 32, 34, 36, some, some chapter, some verse. What he said is this, to quote Martin Luther King Jr., free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. Now, most of us do not think about freedom when we think about Jesus or we think about church. We think about rules and regulations and, and, and making sure we're doing the right thing. And, you know, if it's fun, stop it. Don't do it. Tara and I have started this new diet. If it tastes good, spit it out. You know, it's that kind of legalistic rule keeping. And we, our definition of freedom basically is doing what I want to do when I want to do it. Now, the problem with that, that's rooted in selfishness, and it's rooted in what's called self-determination, that I am free to do what I want. Now, here's the problem with that. My freedom in doing what I want to do, want, want to do then becomes an impediment to you. And my selfishness usually produces bad results in all my relationships. And that thought of doing what I want to do when I want to do it is really rooted in the oldest lie that's in the Bible. And it's found in Genesis chapter 3 when Satan said to the Adam and the woman, eat this fruit and your eyes will be open and you will be a God. And that desire to do what I want to do when I want to do it literally is the desire to be a God. Of course, they ate the fruit 
And they weren't gods. They were a mess. And that mess has followed the rest of us down through the time of man. That we're broken. We're marred by this sense of rebellion and this false freedom. Now, Jesus wants to set you free. But this is upside down logic into what we think is freedom. And how does that freedom play out? Now, I'm always amazed how quickly, when it comes to Christ, we succumb to rules and lists and rituals and attendance at things. And so that poses me to ask some questions of you today. So my job is to aggravate you this morning. So I'm going to ask you some aggravating questions. Here's the first question. Is following Jesus a religion? Now, some of you might say, well, yeah, it's Christianity. It's a religion. Well, let me say this to you. Religion, the word religion has its root in ritual. And that means if religion is about ritual, then what ritual then am I following to make me like Christ? Now, obviously in Christianity, we have certain things we do, rituals you might call, but every one of them is to enhance the relationship we have with God through Christ, not the ritual to make us right with God. I got a, a text this morning from my friend, Les Bonbonard. He's uh, my friend in Canada. He's one of my senior associate pastors there. And he texts me from Vietnam. And he is on his way from Vietnam a few days in there. And then he's going to Bali. And uh, I've been to both those places, Vietnam and Bali. And Les said, uh, you know, he said, hey, praying for you when you go to Israel. I wish I was with you. And I said, you're going to Bali. I wish I was with you. Because Bali's kind of gorgeous. But the problem with Bali is Bali is Hindu. And it's a, it's a religion of ritual. And what they try to do is they try to invoke or appease their gods. And they gather in their temple and they dance to get their gods' attention so their gods will come down and do whatever metaphysically they might do for them. They burn incense and give sacrifices. Over 50% of their income goes to sacrifices to their false gods. And they do this trying to appease God, trying to invoke their gods to come down. And so their rituals are based on this religion. And they even uh, self-mutilate themselves to try to get their God's attention. Is following Jesus a religion? It's a relationship. A relationship with the Holy God. Here's the second question. Do I need to do more, give up more, or know more to be acceptable by God? Do I need to do more, show up with more stuff, give up more, lay aside this, lay aside that, or know more, fill my intellectual capacity to be acceptable, to be accepted by God? Of course, the answer is God is not impressed with anything we do. The best efforts that we have, according to God's word, is like filthy rags to God. Another question. This is an interesting one. If believing in Jesus is enough to be right with God, how do I know that I have believed enough? And probably in the heart of every person in this room is that little nagging doubt. How do you know like you got enough belief? Maybe we need to be like the Roman centurion who came to Jesus and said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. 
and the realization that my belief, the Bible says this, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That is God himself who carries me and not my effort to carry myself. Hmm. Is becoming like Christ about being sanitized or sanctified? And what is the difference between being sanitized and sanctified? I don't know about you, but I grew up in the Baptist church. This is one of them too. And we're all about being sanitized to where our outward behaviors are in keeping with our cultural norms. Like I want to appear to you better than I really am. And what Jesus, Jesus don't want me sanitized. He wants me sanctified and sanctified means the process of becoming like Christ. Not just cleaning up my acts so I'll be acceptable to you, but being transformed in my life so I will become like Jesus. Are are y'all with me on that one? Keeping up outward appearances instead of an inward transformation. And what does Jesus really set me free from? He sets me free from shame and from sin and from wasting my life. But that's that upside-down logic. You see, the renewed life found in Christ is not just about rule-keeping, although there are rules to keep. It's about living in freedom and being transformed into a renewed you with a renewed life and a new culture. Paul said it this way to the church in Corinth. If any person is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. That literally there's a transformation in our life where what we once were is now gone. So, Today, we're going to take a deep dive into this this new culture, and we're going to look at what God's saying, because God wants to give us hope, hope for us individually, hope for us collectively, hope for us that relationally. Now, I'll tell you, this is a process. The last couple of weeks, we've been talking about uh, hope in internal and, and for us so that our hearts can be right relationally. Wyatt talked about unity. Uh, last week I talked about being equipped and being mended. And this week we're talking about culture. And then next week we're going to talk about a new way to live with one another. And the week after that we're going to talk about a new focus. How to live. That's the focus, Fox, y'all. How to live in a new focus. And the week after that we're going to talk about new marriages. And some of y'all say, can we get to that first? So he needs it. But that's what, it's the process because there is hope for you and God wants to give you that hope to live differently and to live literally in this new culture. So let me ask you a couple more questions. What are you doing? What should you be doing? More importantly is this, who are you and who are you becoming? So let's let God speak to us. Because Christ has saved you and has a new expectations for you, a new power to live on, a new purpose to live out, a new people to live with, that we might be transformed. So let's pray. Father, thank you for what you want to say this morning. And I pray, oh God, that you will just speak through me, that you'll clear up my mind and my thinking, and you'll help me say the words to these folks that you love so much that will build their lives and bring honor and glory to you. Thank you that you give us a new culture. Thank you that there's none like you. And we pray this in your strong name. 
Amen. Now, I'm going to be talking out of Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. So you want to turn there, you can, but the scriptures will be on the screen. But let's, let's talk about this. Now, here's the first thing. In this new culture, here's the first thing I want you to have. You have the authority to think differently. The authority to think differently. Now, you say, well, Scott, I don't need authority in order to change my thinking. Oh, yeah, you do. It's almost, it's bigger than permission. Authority creates a responsibility that creates a pathway for you to live out something. Listen to what Paul says. With the Lord's authority, I say. Now what Paul says, I'm taking God's authority. He's given it to me. Now I'm giving it to you. I've got God's authority. He's given it to me. Now I'm giving it to you. With the Lord's authority, I say this. Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they're hopelessly confused. Now wait a second, Scott. He's writing to the church in Ephesus. They're a bunch of Gentiles. And so he starts right, don't live like the Gentiles. They're going, what? That's what we are. You know, it's like saying to you Aggies, don't live like Aggies do. What? Whoop. That's what we are. They said there's a different way of thinking here. Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they're hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from, God, from the life God has given them because they've closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasures, eagerly practice every kind of impurity. Now, I don't know about you. If I'm living in Ephesus, I am now insulted. You know, Paul, what's wrong with you? Did you like fail people skills 101? He just like dashed everybody. But what Paul was saying is this, this culture that Christ has called us into, this new life that Christ has called us into is different from what you're presently experiencing. And he says some things that are very important. The authority of God given through Jesus Christ through the cross, by the cross, through the grave, through the resurrection, that you might live differently. That's the authority of God. We sang it today. We have resurrection power. I mean, Jonathan did a masterful job of setting up this talk. Good job, Jonathan. You're a professor, and we're going to give you an A this morning. He's a math professor, so it figures he would. It all adds up. That's right. Thank you. Thank you, Johnny. Yeah, yeah. Johnny Wood right there, okay? Dilly dilly right there. All right. So it, 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 what God is saying here is that I'm going to give you something that you can't get on your own. It's not the authority of your decision. You can't do this yourself. It's not the authority of your ritual. You can't act your way into it. And it's not even the authority of the priestly hierarchy that I dispense upon you. We have this doctrine in our church called the priesthood of the believer. You know what that means? That as you have the same authority and right to come to God as I do as a pastor. Ain't that good? That means I'm no better than y'all. And you are no better than me. Because God has brought us in equal standing before him as his children. See, I no longer live as a Gentile. And the sad truth is that most Christians live the same way as non-Christians. We struggle with the same behavioral problems, the same relational problems, the same addiction problems, because we haven't figured out that God wants us to live in a different way. We live in a culture of confusion and disunity when God has given us a new culture of love and unity. 
Huh. You see, Jesus wants to change the way you think. We are the people of the revenant. Of the revenant. You're going, huh? Why do you say we're the people of the redeemed? I don't understand that. Because I want to use the word revenant. Revenant is a word that means one that has been brought back from the dead. Now, a few years ago, there was a Leonardo DiCaprio movie called The Revenant. I don't know if y'all saw that. I saw that. It's got the most awesome being eaten by a bear scene in the world in that movie. Uh, did, did anybody, anybody see that movie? You're, you're, good. See, y'all are like all spiritual. We don't watch such movies. Liars, you do. You like them. <laughs> and each, the, the bear eats him. And, you know, I was living in Canada at the time, and being eaten by a bear was a distinct reality. There were bears. I remember we were driving down Johnson Canyon Road, and there was this massive grizzly bear just going to town on this rotten log eating grubs. And that dead gum thing, its head was that wide. And its paw would cover my whole chest. Thing was massive. And my brother, who's we eat with me, he jumps out of my truck and he's around the front. And he's taking pictures. I rolled down my window. David, you might want to get in the truck. That bear could be on you and eat you in a second. In fact, if he does eat you, he'll just go ahead and hibernate because you enough to last all winter. <laughs> the revenant means. You are one has been brought back from the dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You weren't just lost. You were dead. And you are the revenant. Through the crucifixion and through the resurrection, the resurrection power, God has sparked you to life. In fact, you cannot even come into a relationship with God unless the Spirit of God whispers into your heart and awakens you to your need. And then he begins the process of making you new in him and bringing you back to life. And then this back to life, this new life, you have a changed mind and a changed life and a changed uh, concept. You are the washed. You are the redeemed. You're the cleansed. You're the revenant. So we are. And with that new life, we have a new culture. That means I'm not confused about meaning and purpose anymore because I have the mind of Christ. I'm not darkened, overcome by deception and depression. I have the light of the world living in me. I'm not hardened. I can hear the soft woo of God's voice and respond to God out of obedience because my heart has been made new. I'm not hardened any longer. And I'm not driven by shame or lust or power or possessions or perversion, but I'm driven by love, mercy, grace, acceptance, and forgiveness. I will give that to y'all again. Here it is. I'm not driven by shame, for there is now no condemnation for those who are Christ Jesus. I am not driven by lust, for the life-giving power of the Spirit has set me free I'm no longer driven by power because any power I can harvest as a man is nothing compared to the resurrection power of God. I am no longer driven by possessions because I can lay up a big pile of stuff and my kids will spend it. I can buy a bunch of land and my kids will sell it. I'm not driven by what I have. I'm driven by whose I am. 
I'm not driven by my perversion because in Christ there is purity, but I am driven by love. Love is the cardiovascular system of the church. Love is the cardiovascular system of following Christ. I'm driven by his mercy because I did not deserve mercy, but God has given me mercy. I'm driven by grace, and because I've received grace, that is so amazing. I can extend grace that is so life-giving. I'm driven by acceptance that I'm accepted by God, and therefore I can accept you as weird as you are. You say, well, I don't know anybody weird. It's you. And I'm driven by forgiveness. Because I've been forgiven, I can forgive. And it's not about rule keeping, but a life of freedom. Not to do as I please, but to do what pleases God. Thursday night, we had a gathering called, well, we have a gathering every other Thursday night called Minute First. Guys, if you've never been, you ought to come. Because we get to eat stuff our wives won't let us eat. And I, I teach a bit, and then we, we have a discussion around the table. It's just awesome. And Thursday night, man, Johnny, we had God showed up. It was incredible. And we talked about legacy. And I, I said this about legacy. I wrote it down. I want to make sure I said it right. Repeat it right. Legacy is not what you leave behind, but legacy is what lasts until the end of time. It's not what I leave behind, but what will last to the end of time. Because I have a new culture, my life ripples into eternity. My love ripples into eternity. And that, my friend, is freedom. And I can be free. And you can be free. Listen to what Paul goes on and says. But this isn't what you've learned about Christ. Since you've heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, put on the, the spirit, renewed, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and truly holy. It's this term, learn term learned means to be discipled. God wants you not just to know something. He wants you to live something. Jesus is changing you through what you know so you can live what you know. I will say something. I don't want you to misquote me. I want you to get it right because I've had people misquote me on this one, but listen to me. Biblical knowledge without biblical application is trivial. If I know a bunch of scripture but I live like the devil, it's a waste of time what I know. But if God's word that I've studied and it's applied to my heart comes out of my life, that biblical knowledge leads, leads to biblical living, then it's life-giving to you. And that changes what discipleship is. All my life, I've heard Go to Bible study, 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 go to Bible study. Go to Bible study. Go to Bible study. But Jesus says, 
Study to show yourself approved, a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, not in the pontification of your theological education, but in the love of your life that's lived out loving people around you. Wow. That changes everything. In other words, I need biblical instruction to know how to live, and I need you in the church in order to practice it all that we might love our community and love our world. Paul said to throw off that old stuff. Literally means to strip it off. An intentional removing of the former culture that once identified me and the putting on the new culture, the new robe of righteousness, the new covering of God. I'm no longer identified by what I once was, but I'm identified now as the revenant, the one who's been brought back for life from life from death, brought back to life. In the Old Testament, there's a, a minor prophet named Zechariah. And Zechariah, he gives us a vision into heaven in chapter three of his, of his prophecy. In chapter three, he's talking about Yeshua. And, and this is a scene in heaven. Yeshua, who's the high priest, the one who represents God before the people, is standing in heaven before the Lord. And the Bible says the angel of the Lord is standing beside him. Now, in the Old Testament, when you read angel of the Lord, it's the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. It means it's Jesus Christ who, who was and is and evermore shall be standing before he was born in Bethlehem. He was standing in heaven because he's, there, he's not the created one. He's not the one born, but he's the one who's always been standing with Yeshua. And Satan is standing there accusing Yeshua. He's accusing him. And Yeshua says in the Bible, he's standing there in robes covered in human poop. Now, if you read it in the English version, which is sanitized, it said, and he was standing there in filthy garments. In filthy garments. You read it in the Hebrew, it says, and he was standing there covered in human poop. That's a little different, isn't it? Filthy garments are poop. That's nasty, y'all. That's nasty. They stand in front of Jesus, covered in poop. You ever felt that way? Don't raise your hand. And Satan's accusing him. And you know what the Lord says? I'm going to give you the Texas translation. Satan, shut your pie hole. How dare you condemn this man? See, this man is a burning stick snatched from the flame, and that's what we all are. We were destined for eternity of damnation until Christ awakened us and called us and revived us and we are the revenant. And he says to those standing here, take off those filthy robes, put on priestly robes, put a turban on his head and because I've changed you, I'm going to use you to be my priest and to minister for me before others. And that's what he says to you and me. He's going to remove our shame and our sin in a single day. He did that on the cross. And he takes our filthiness, he throws it away, and he puts on his righteousness. And then it says this in 2 Corinthians 5.21, that God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin for us, that we might become the righteous of God. In other words, when God looks at you this morning, he sees Jesus. He sees Jesus. Have you ever done something so bad you didn't think you could be made right? You know what Jesus says about that? Baloney. In fact, I not only can make you right, I can use that 
to help other people who are broken. Does that mean I should go out and do a bunch of stupid stuff to give God ammunition? No. But I've got a God who knows me. I'm no longer trapped by who I was. I have a renewed mind and a renewed life in a new culture. Tara and I are remodeling our house, so we had to move out of our house so our house could turn into a disaster zone so that uh, we could remodel it. I went to California the other day, and somebody said, hey, where's Tara? I said, Tara's busy traveling the world looking for the most expensive things in the world to put into our new house. She's currently in Michelangelo's quarry looking at marble. I mean, whatever. But it's just a joke. She's not here, and I appreciate it if you don't say that to her. Okay. But we were cleaning out stuff. We were moving books, and I saw a book that she had. In fact, she had a whole series, and the first of the series called Who Turned Off Your Brain? And I knew she bought it to, for me because she's trying to figure out who turned off my brain. And this book, this series of books, is written by a Christian uh, neuroscientist who studies the brain and studies the mind and studies the way we think and literally looks at the physiology of the brain about how diatribes of thought grow and how negativity, negativity springs up and darkens our mind and how light and love comes in and, and illuminates our mind and gives us hope. That God understands our physiology and he wants to turn on your brain by giving you a renewed mind. Do you ever worry about stuff at night? Yes. God, he wants to give you a new brain. Have you ever worried about what people think? Yes. God wants to give you a new brain. Have you ever been accused by your past mistakes from Satan? Yes. God wants to give you a new brain. He wants to give you a new pattern of thought. And you are literally, get this, righteous and holy. Righteous and holy. And God has declared you righteous and holy. What? Like I guarantee if I start asking you, are you righteous? Nope. Are you holy? Uh Uh-uh. In my book, Sifted Leadership, I have a chapter called, Are You a Holy Man? I tell the story about going to to India and being asked like 10 times, are you a holy man? At first, it caught me off guard. I looked around, made sure nobody was looking, said, yes, I am, you know. (laughs) But the truth is, yes, you are. Yes, you are holy. If I were to ask anyone in this room, are you spiritually mature? You'd probably say, no, I'm not, but I'm trying to come like Jesus. You know what that is? It's not true. He's growing you up. Oh, you're not done. You're still gooey in the middle, but he's making you like Jesus. He's transforming, transforming your mind and your heart. And you are holy because God has declared you holy. The hard line of religion is to remind you of your sin and despair. The freedom of the new culture in Christ is to remind you that Jesus has set you free. If the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. Not free to keep some legalistic rules or religion, but free to live in a transformed life of holiness and life and peace with the Father. 
Chuck Colson was a uh, part of Richard Nixon's administration. And when Richard Nixon went down, Chuck went with him and Chuck went to jail. While Chuck Colson was in prison, he came to Christ. And as a result of that, he started a ministry to prisoners called Prison Fellowship. Several years ago, I read Chuck's book called um, The Body. And he talks about the, about the church and about the power of the church. It's an amazing book. And Chuck Colson tells a story there that's pretty amazing to me. In his ministry, international ministry to prisons, he would go to several different countries and look how, how they dealt with prisoners and, and a thing called recidivism. Recidivism means once somebody's committed a crime and they serve their time, are they likely to return back to prison? In other words, go back into a life of crime. In most prisons, recidivism is about, um, about 80 to 90% of those who are incarcerated after they're released will return back to prison. Well, there's a prison in Brazil that was taken over by a nonprofit Christian group. Their recidivism rate was 10%. Only 10% of their people would return back to jail because while they were in jail, they would disciple them and give them this new culture, new mind of Christ. And Christ can set people free. Listen to me. Christ-centered recovery from addiction has the highest rate of success of any recovery program. That's why very soon we'll be starting to celebrate recovery at this church. You'll see uh, Rick out on, the, on the, the patio with the table asking people to sign up and be a part of this. I'll tell you more about that in a while in another talk. Well, Chuck was touring this prison in Brazil and figuring out how they did what they did. And he asked him a question. He said, hey, do you have any prisoners in solitary confinement? They said, yeah, we have one, only one. He said, well, can I, can I see? He goes, well, sure, yeah, let's go. So they made their way down through the nastiest, vilest part of the prison. They got to this one cell and they unlocked the door and opened up. And there was the prisoner. It was Christ on a cross carved out of beautiful Brazilian wood. And the warden said, there's Jesus. He's doing time for all of us. Beloved, you have a new culture. One of freedom and one of peace. Free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty. I'm free at last. Father, thank you for what you've said to us this morning in your word. And I pray we will not walk out of here adjusted, but transformed that we'll be reminded that we are the revenant, the ones who were dead and been brought back to life. And Father, we will live in this new life with love and mercy and peace and grace and power and hope and hope for us. Father, I can't help but as I pray to think that maybe perhaps your spirit is awakening hearts in this room that need to trust you as Savior and Lord. They know they need to give their life to you because you, whole Holy Spirit, are awakening in them right now. And I pray, oh Father, that they will respond to you. Folks, if that's you, if you feel this stirring in your heart, that's not from me, that's from the Holy Spirit of God. And he is inviting you to give your life to Jesus. So I want to invite you to pray with me a simple prayer and ask Christ to come into your heart. Just pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, right now, I give my life to you. 
I thank you for dying on the cross to forgive my sins and I accept what you've done for me. I thank you that you were raised again to prove your power and I want your new life in me. So Jesus, I'm yours and I'm gonna live for you all my life. If you just prayed that prayer with me, welcome to God's family. How do you know you believed enough? You just did. You just did. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Welcome to the family. For many of you in this room, you, you know that you belong to Jesus, but maybe you're not living in the new culture. Maybe you're living in the religious culture or the, or the Baptist culture or the churchy culture or the keeping up appearance culture. Maybe you've been sanitized and not sanctified. I don't know what God's saying to you. Maybe you're just, you're thankful. Why don't you take this time and just be thankful to Jesus? So Father, we just want to be thankful to you. Thankful that you love us and you, you never leave us alone and you call us to be different and you've changed us and we were dead and now we're alive and we're just grateful. We're grateful. And we want to live for you. We want to be a church that's alive for you. All for your glory, Jesus. And we pray this in your name. Amen.